Rio de Janeiro. With a big man. Welcome to Frio de Janeiro. My name is Abid Iman. Our guest for the show is Tamara Awatani, speaking to us from Ramallah in Palestine. She is a legend of the game, doing incredible things for her people through sport and education. Tamara is the founder and director of a Palestinian NGO called Palestine Sports for Life. She's also a consultant and expert in sports for development and sports management. Tamara is a competitive swimmer and played basketball for her nation. She speaks in depth about what it's actually like to be born and grow up in Palestine, living through wars. The light in her life is sport. And as you would know, that's a really key pillar of the show. At the time of recording this, it was a really tense moment in Palestine with the conflict. And it just brought into focus that closer human dimension of being able to listen to someone like Tamara. What is incredible is that through such darkness, there is hope. And it's a real pleasure that we could shine light on that. So please enjoy. Tamara Awatani, it's an absolute pleasure for you to join me on Frio de Janeiro. Thank you so much. I understand there's a lot happening at the moment in in Ramallah, where you are. Tell me about what the last month has been like for you. Thank you so much for hosting me uh, and giving me the platform to to speak about Palestine um, and our situation. Um, the past month, actually past years as well, um, has been really tough on all the Palestinian societies across uh, Palestine, in the different communities from north to south. Um, Gaza has been really affected. Um, it's been like the fourth war now in less than 13 years. Um, children and, and families have been going through a lot. They have lost their houses. They have lost their families. Um, whole neighborhoods were just demolished. Um, so it's been really, really tough. On the other side uh, of East Jerusalem, there are complete neighborhoods that are going through ethnic cleansing. Um, just, you know, leaving their homes um, by force. Um, and the rulings of that is also very, um, really unfair and unjust. Um, so, but we as Palestinians are standing together everywhere and across Palestine. Um, from Haifa, Akka, Yafa, Lid, everywhere in Palestine are standing as one, as human beings, standing in, in the face of injustice and also spreading the word across the globe to, to stand with us in the form of uh, um, you know, being united uh, together to stand in the face of oppression and ethnic cleansing. You know, we live in this world where you see things on screens, on TV, through the newspapers, you read, but it's not really real sometimes. It doesn't feel real because here I'm in one of the most isolated cities in the world in Perth and you don't really know what it's really like. So what is the day-to-day life like when you're living in war? Yeah, it's uh, being occupied the whole time is not a great feeling and we've been through this for the past at least 70 years now and uh, it's just like being living in in small um, containers there are checkpoints everywhere if you want to do anything or just move from one village to the next or from one city to the next people think that okay if you are in, in Gaza or if you are in West Bank specifically that West Bank is just, you know, under the Palestinian authority, you're living great. No, we are really packed into small prisons with open air prisons, basically. If you want to move anywhere, there are always settlements all over the place. If you look at the mountains, you always see the hilltops are, are taken forcibly, of course. They kick out the people and take their land. Um, they just put a caravan and that's theirs in the end. And uh, people have to fight for their land endlessly the whole time. So even if you want to move from 
one village to the next. There are always uh, checkpoints. There are stable ones and there are flying checkpoints that they just, you know, come park and then um, just irritate the people by checking their IDs every so you cannot move basically without your ID even if you're just going to the next uh, neighborhood or to the next city and like West Bank from north to south there are three or at least four main checkpoints so at any point when they decide that they want to close off West Bank in a minute exactly the whole north is cut off of the mid and the mid is cut off of the south. You cannot move. So you are just basically in an open um, air prison. And also then you have this um, feeling that you are always in fear of your life because you have those settlers who are totally brainwashed and racist. And when they see a Palestinian car moving from that street that both youth um, it's basically a Palestinian street uh, on Palestinian land, but that they have taken, that they start throwing stones or just shooting at us, that they have killed so many people on the checkpoints, they have killed so many people on the roads with no uh, with no reason whatsoever, just being Palestinian. And this is something that we have seen uh, in the last month uh, has gone really crazy, um, just really they were calling death for Arabs and, and it was just really fearful for anyone to be moving around the streets. They don't care if it's children or women or anything. Um, they don't look at us as human beings. And this is something that you always have to have at the back of your head. When you're moving, you're of fear and you're of your life, even if you're just going to, to visit family across the next city or so. How have your family been through this time as well? It's been tough. I mean, my husband's family live just like 40 minutes away from where we are in Nablus. We didn't go in the past two years because of the of the situation. And also then uh, just before when it rose, like uh, it became even more, uh, we were just a day before there. And it is always that you fear for your family you're always looking around if you are seeing any person on the hilltop with a rock throwing it on your on your street or so on. It's just you have this virtual connection with, with family. You're not always connected because it's difficult. And one always feels with the people that have to really commute from city to city or village to village just because of their work. Um, because, you know, Ramallah is one of the of the hubs of work so people because of the situation tend to then get an apartment in Ramallah to, to be able to go to their work and not commute on every uh, like daily basis although it's just a half an hour thing if you compare it to Europe or something like that it's you know you wouldn't think of uh, moving to the to the place if it's just a 20 minute ride or a 30 minute ride but here you would have to, because also the 30 minutes are never always the 30 minutes, because depending on the mood of this 18-year-old soldier on, on the checkpoint, if he's going to stop, uh, stop every car or just letting people move. So it can take you from 30 minutes to three hours. So these are things that you one has to really account for when just commuting. And for us, even when we, we want to plan any event, a sports event or any program that we want to plan. It's always very like we have to have a plan A, a plan B and a plan Z as well in case of anything that happens on the roads. If anything, you know, gets stopped, we always try to also, you know, build the capacity of people within the same places that we want to to run the program in so that we don't have to go into these details of uh, commuting. But sometimes we also need to go to remote areas and those remote areas, which are, you know, called Area C even, because even West Bank is um, it's uh, fragmented into areas A, B, and C. So A is um, under Palestinian authority, supposedly, but of course the, the Israeli forces can come in at any point and do whatever they want. Uh, and B is supposed to be by uh, security control of the Israelis, and C is under full Israeli control. So even within West Bank and you own a land that is C area, 
you have to apply for a permit to build a house, which takes ages or doesn't, you don't take any uh, permission. And the next day you find a, a settler with a caravan and says, this is, this land is mine now. And if I don't steal it, someone else will steal it. And this is the proverb now of the Israeli settlers that is going around that at any point, and this is what happens uh, in, in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood in Jerusalem, is that people have this land. It is in their name registered. Um, and they have the proof to prove that. And they have applied for over 10 years to, to build their houses, but they never got the okay or the permission to build their houses. But eventually the family grows and they have to have a place to live. And, and uh, when they build the house, the government comes and tells them, hey, you built this without a permission, close it off and we have to demolish it. But instead of demolishing it, they just give the keys to the next Israeli settler and tell them, here's your new house <laughs> and take it over. So yes, it is illegal for the Palestinian who just built it with, you know, with, with, uh, with their own sweats, with their own money. Uh, and it is illegal because they didn't get permission, which they have applied for years and years and years ago. But an Israeli settler that just came into Palestine, here are the keys to your new house. So it's just like really unfair and unjust and, and basically an ethnic cleansing the way that they are trying to do all over Palestine, not only in, in Jerusalem. But the news is always now basically in, in Jerusalem more because the ruling of those houses, 800 families would be out of, uh, of their homes in Silwan as well in, in the neighborhood in Jerusalem. Um, this is going to spread over. This is just, for instance, now in Jerusalem, but you will hear about this in the next months or the next, you know, uh, all the time they are taking land by the day, by the minute we are talking now, they are taking over uh, lots of land across Palestine, even in West Bank. We were talking about this off air, but are you in some way encouraged by the global solidarity? Do you feel like it's becoming more more momentum in the cause as well? Yes, it is because uh, social media has helped that and, and people like everyone owns a phone now and everyone is able to, to document the truth, document what is really happening. And, and this, is, this helps the world to see, to see it from the eyes of the people, the people who are suffering, the people who are going through everything here on ground and not just through media channels that are sometimes filtered out and, and people don't get to see the real truth. But now it, the social media platforms have allowed for the truth to come out. And of course, uh, we are like uh, very happy to see the solidarity of the world. Um, a lot of countries and, and a lot of people are on the streets demanding justice for the Palestinians. And this is something that, of course, uh, for us is important, uh, that we are all united um, against racism and ethnic cleansing all across the world and Palestine specifically. If we can re rewind it a little bit now to your memories growing up. Where did you grow up in Palestine and, and what was it like? I grew up in Ramallah uh, in Palestine as well. And I went through two intifadas, which means I was born in 82 and in 86 was my first, uh, let's say, political um, uh, experience because it was occupied. There was lots of uh, war going on in 86 and 87. So I was just a little girl. Uh, so, yeah, I have gone through checkpoints all the time through curfews, meaning that you are not allowed to go on the streets. Uh, when a certain call is out, even just playing bikes on, on the street, uh, that was not allowed. And even as an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old, I was stopped a million times just to, you know, take my bike and go back in, into the house. So it was really difficult. And also um, going through even in, in 2000 when the second Intifada started, and although I have moved to Jordan to, to continue my studies at that point, but I was always coming back and forth uh, because it's just next door from Jordan to Palestine to, to check on my family. 
just the idea of, of leaving Ramallah to go to the next city or uh, just to travel is how much you need time, although it's, again, with a car, without checkpoints, from Ramallah to Amman, it takes you at least an hour and a half. But for us, it takes us a whole day because you have to go through at least three to four checkpoints to get to Jericho, the borders with, with Amman, and uh, then again, three to four hours through the checkpoints to get to, to Jordan. Um, and it's just this always not having this, you know, uh, taken, the dignity is taken from you is that you are stopped the whole time, asked from where you are, where you are and why you are here. It is your land, it was like, it is our land, we are born here and uh, we are Palestinians and we, we have the right to be here, you know, and we have the right to movement. And just looking at those kids, I would call them, as 18-year-old soldiers who are totally brainwashed at checkpoints, treating you as, um, I don't know, some kind of, <laughs> not uh, as a, an enemy, you know, this feeling of not being human in the eyes of another human is, is a lot, it is uh, big. And also just, you know, growing up to always having a backup plan to everything that you want to do. Uh, this is a skill that uh, every Palestinian has, uh, just to think of a million plans for one simple thing that you want to do the next day or even in the next hour. Uh, yeah, growing up here is, is tough, but I was lucky to be in Ramallah. I mean, other parts of Palestine are, are really more difficult if we look at Gaza's nothing to, to, to be compared to, um, but still like it is heartbreaking and tragic for every single Palestinian because we live for the cause. And this is something that I have taken on my shoulders is that to wherever I am going, because I had this chance of, of representing Palestine in terms of sports as an athlete, um, to, to showcase the story of Palestine, to give that uh, side of the story of Palestinians because at that point, if we're talking the 80s and 90s, it wasn't the same in terms of media. You couldn't see what was going on. It was just people to people if you are getting this interaction, but otherwise you would just get one streamlined uh, news and not from the people uh, from uh, themselves. Um, and of course, then I had lots of disappointments as an athlete if we're talking about that. Meaning if, uh, you know, I had the chance to take part in any tournament or any championship or anything that for one year, I had at least eight cancelled in one summer and I was 14. So it's, it is difficult, but at least, you know, again, another skill is not to never give up the perseverance to continue. And this is not something that one gains easily, uh, but living here, you gain all of these things. How did sport initially enter your life? What was that that first memory of shooting a basketball or going for a swim? Yeah, well, it was. Um, I just started running when I was nine, nine months, so I think it was directly in my blood, just to being uh, active. Um, but in in school, I was always part of all the teams, and and my teacher saw this in me that. He let me take part in every single um, tournament that was like uh, organized by the Ministry of Education or in school. But at the same time, my parents were my backbone in this, and they saw that it gave me happiness. And for me, it was always freedom because in a court, no one can tell you where to shoot it or what to do next, uh, unlike life here. Uh, but uh, yeah, in, in court and in, in swimming, I just felt free. And that's what I continued to do. And I felt that I can also do lots of messages through sports. So I was part of uh, the national team of uh, swimming um, of Palestine. And I got to, to represent uh, my club in crossing Tiberius Lake uh, six times, which was each time five kilometers at an early age. So that also taught me never to, to, to give up and just to keep going. Um, although you see the end of the lake, but you just really need to work hard to get there. And this is something that I always took on with me that whatever I want to reach, I really need to work hard to, to, to get there. And at the same time, I had the chance to, to play basketball um, through school, but also 
done within the club. And I had a coach that was from like an international coach who so that I could do more. And he built up my skills and uh, like I was representing our club in the West Asian um, uh, basketball. So that was also one of my first to get out of Palestine and represent Palestine in, in the West Asian tournament in 1999. And it was a turning point for me. Like this is something that I really want to, to continue to, to compete, to be part of a team because they were like my support system, you know. It's not just playing a sport or just winning or losing. It was just having this family out of your family that uh, ex expands uh, the, the network that you have. So I had the second family that, that uh, are my teammates. And I built, again, a network in, in Jordan and from the teams that came to the West Asian uh, tournaments from Syria, from Lebanon. And this network is always something that I talk about, like sports gives you this support system that could support you. Like I can say that I have at least one friend in every country across the globe through sports. Uh, and, and you never know what the opportunities that you can get or give the people in Palestine or vice versa, uh, just through sports and through these connections. So uh, yes, and this is from there, I started to expand more and more as an athlete and then further as a coach. <laughs> On the lake, how far was the swim to get to the other side of the lake? It was five kilometers. Impressive. That's good. And had you ever swum in the ocean before that? No, never. And it was always really um, tough because like the first time um, there was an incident the day before where there were, um, uh, you know, because it's, it's a lake and with the wind, Sometimes the the water uh, tornadoes like that. Someone was drowned, and we were like, "Oh my God, no! What what if that happens to us as well?" And the next day in the competition, and we were taught like, "What happens if you get dragged down, and what to do? Just go with it, and then swim from under because it comes weaker." And at the same point, I had two of my my teammates and my friends with me. And uh, one of them uh, got injured the day before, but we encouraged her to 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 do the uh, to do the swim because we have worked so much for it, for this to get prepared. And halfway through, she got really you know uh, her muscles got strained, so I had to put her on my shoulder and also then then drive her. It's just about this not giving up and and being patient and also having you know the mind uh, over the body pain. This is another skill that one can really learn through such experiences. Um, there's so much one learns in, in the lake or in the pool or in the court that really translates into life uh, all the time. Well, you need to come to Western Australia or Perth and do the Rottnest Channel Swim. That's swimming from Fremantle to the Rottnest Island. So that's an ocean swim. I'm sure you'll you'll do really well. When you went to um, your first ever competition internationally for basketball, where was it? And what were your thoughts, you know, leaving Palestine for one of the first times? Yeah, well, I um, moved to, to Germany as an IT consultant in 2010. And, um, of course, basketball was with me the whole time. So you can bet wherever I am in the world, I'll always look for a team where I could play. And I found a team uh, in Esteling in, in, in Stuttgart uh, in Germany to play with. And I played one season uh, with them. It was a, a hilarious and a great, amazing experience because you get to play on a, on a different level. Um, and also, you know, with, the, with Europeans, a different level of, of basketball. And at the same time, to have this cultural exchange. At the same time, this was in 2010, but uh, before that, of course, when I moved to Jordan in 2000 for my studies, uh, I got to play also with the uh, national team of universities. So we played a lot with uh, Arab uh, universities. Uh, at the same time, um, I played with the national team of Jordan. So we got the chance to, to play in Syria and uh, in Lebanon. Um, so that was also an amazing experience. Uh, but as as an international uh, level, that was in Germany, and I got the chance to also play against 
the top players in, in Europe. And this experience gave me a lot uh, of thoughts and ideas that, oh my God, this experience, I really need to take it back to, to Palestine. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to do. And every time when I traveled and got back to Palestine, I directly volunteered to start something. So the moment I got back from Jordan at start from my studies, I directly volunteered uh, with the uh, with the Palestinian Basketball Federation because I have a background in IT. I started up a, a, a program to do the scouting uh, of uh, of the league, like the main league that was running in Palestine at that moment for the men's league. And I also started uh, writing about uh, Palestinian basketball in the Asia basketball platform. So just to get you know Palestine in the spotlight in terms of basketball, yeah, there is something else to Palestine than politics. There is a lot of sports going on. So I started writing and I got lots of interaction. And uh, the, the Palestinian Federation thought of like, okay, uh, let's get some imports uh, to get to play in the league to raise the level uh, of, of basketball. So I volunteered and helped them to get over 20 American and European players to come and play in the league and coaches. And I also got, um, uh, you know, uh, girls, like coaches to come and support the women's teams as well. And for myself, I started coaching little ones uh, to give back the experience that I got. Because when I was in Jordan as well, I, I coached mini basketball and I coached in schools. So I wanted to take this back to, to Palestine and coach little ones. Uh, and give them that ch chance and structure to play organized uh, sports and learn life skills. And uh, um, with the federation as well, we raised the level of the game because bringing the experience from outside uh, um, and to, to the Palestinians and also putting Palestine on the map of, of basketball. So that was another thing that I always had an aim to do. I heard that you like Michael Jordan. So yeah. playing for Jordan <laughs> is also a good little link there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you like the documentary, The Last Dance on Netflix? Oh, yes. Of course, I watched every single one. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. What was it like for... <laughs> what was it like for the players, the imports that came to Palestine to play? That would have been a really interesting cultural exchange for them. Oh, yes. Uh, specifically when they asked, where is Palestine? <laughs> you know, when, when I was writing about Palestine and then we got those even emails uh, from import players, like if you're looking for import players, we would love to come. But tell me, please, exactly where is Palestine? <laughs> so it was really, you know, uh, funny, but also ironic. And also this is something that we want to, to uh, relate the message. Like we exist. We are here. We we are putting Palestine on the map, and yes, we have sports, and yes, we have sports, and yes, we have a league running. You know, these are things that wouldn't come to mind for many people, unfortunately, across the globe. Mm. Um, so when they came here, they got surprised by the the level that we had in, in terms of basketball. Okay, it's not that high, but at the same time, it's not that bad uh, at that time. And uh, also in terms of culturally, it was um, different for them. Uh, they learned a lot. And, um, and even we had one um, um, documentary maker, uh, Hannah Murphy, she came from, from Britain. And she wanted to put a highlight on this because she was reading my articles and saw that I got uh, import players. And she said, okay, I want to come and see what those uh, import players are, are experiencing in terms of, you know, as you mentioned, as culture or as just, are they having a cultural shock or not? And <laughs> she did a documentary called Salam Dunk, which was aired on Al Jazeera. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> so, yes. So it really reflected on me as a Palestinian living here and passionate about basketball and getting those imports and highlighting one person as an American who at first, even, you know, at the break of dawn, when the mosque um, was uh, saying Allahu Akbar that, you know, uh, for the prayers, he got shocked, like what is going on? <laughs> you know, so these are tiny stuff that you won't uh, know except when you are here. 
or just for him to to get this that when moving from one place to the other you get through checkpoints and at the same time that um you know that being asked for the whole time for your id where you're coming from where you're going to within your land this was absolutely uh new and shocking for him and for the rest of the players because you know they have to move from one place to the other uh to play the games mm. and sometimes they got delayed sometimes they never got to the game so <laughs> this is not an experience that you get anywhere you had some time in germany which would have been really beneficial education wise playing basketball then you can't come back to palestine what compelled you to start the organization that you did in palestine for life yeah well definitely it's something that i always wanted to take the experience and and give back to the palestinians because i got the chance and the opportunity to leave but uh, many others didn't get the chance and for them to have that exchange uh, i am i am from here palestine is my country and i want to give back and this is where i thought okay there aren't many community spaces uh, for just any kid to play you have to be a member in a club or you know you have to be in a certain area for you to be able to play so i learned a lot not only sports but i my whole perspective for sports and my whole personality and mindset shifted from sports and this is something that i wanted to to give like uh, hope for the kids not just thinking about you know what is going on for me it was sports was a this really nice uh, space and and a bubble that i want to go there and if i didn't go there i don't know what would have happened to me mentally or like my mental well-being it would be really really difficult but sports was really my outlet and uh, that's what i thought of and i co-founded with other friends of mine who are also having the the background of uh, and sports that uh, we wanted to do something for the community so we started palestine sports for life uh, because sports is life and we wanted to highlight the name palestine so that everyone knows uh, at start of course it was locally but now after 10 years we are globally recognized uh, as a as a sports for development organization um so yes palestine is on the map again um it was very difficult at start because we were you know athletes uh, and i pursued my um education as well in sports management uh through uh, like that was the first program for fifa the science academy in in palestine together with the university here so i took that to just have that managerial uh sports background so that i can continue um uh, with you know running an organization although i have also my mba in and business administration but sports is yeah. a bit different um, mba not nba <laughs> no <laughs> was a dream <laughs> being an nba but yeah i watched it uh so i started this organization at first it was you know getting volunteers to 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 run uh different programs and for me to be able to design the different programs to to go with the needs of the different societies and the communities because in the end effect you want to serve the community you want to know their needs and not just apply any program that comes to your head because you think it's good uh so this is something that uh, we we did and it was difficult at first to get any funding because we're practically new and no one wants to to fund an organization that is not known so but what helped me is my network again so the network that i have developed throughout my uh time as an athlete and as a coach um i have brought that back to palsan so the network that i had globally supported us in exchanges for instance um we sent a, a mini basketball team to to italy and they were hosted uh, by bari uh, a club over there which is kuzbari that hosted those kids uh, in, in italian families and it was for many the first time um that they have even traveled or leave, uh, left the district so it was a life exchanging experience and step by step we built up uh, the reputation of the organization that we were able to you know um uh, get more uh, proposals accepted within the country with internationals 
that we have built the base of uh, of our programs. So starting in Ramallah to now across the country, even in Gaza and East Jerusalem. So this is something that we are proud of that it started with one program. Now we have the ripple effect to have it spread across the country and cooperating with the Ministry of Education and UNRWA, which is the agency responsible for the, the refugee uh, camps uh, across Palestine. So we are working with, with all of them to you know, uh, build the capacity of the teachers in sports for development, especially that uh, myself and my colleagues, we have co-written um, different curriculums in the sports for development aspect, of course, together with the different international organizations. And we are trying to integrate these curriculums within the school system so that all the kids have the chance to experience sports and life skills as well, and in different themes that are aligned to the SDGs. And uh, at the same time, we run those free community programs. So we are trying to open up the spaces uh, for, uh, like from the schools after school for the surrounding communities and offering inclusive safe spaces, not only for the kids that are coming from the area. As I mentioned before, Palestine is really fragmented. So you have within the city refugee camps next to its villages, and they don't get to interact with each other the whole time. But in this, uh, in these community programs that we are running, we are having this experience and like uh, a safe space for these kids to come. And the coaches that run these programs are from the place itself, from the community itself. So it builds up the trust for, for example, young girls to come and play in conservative uh, places, you know. So this is something that we are also expanding and working on. I have so many questions. I don't know where to start, but uh, the... The first one is, which sports are the most popular for the, the kids? Yeah, so what we are trying to do is to get them all first, is the, because they, just for them to move and play, because it is very essential for, for children's development. Uh, but mostly the sports played here are football and, uh, and basketball. Uh, there's, uh, um, you know, uh, they're doing also individual sports like athletics and so on. But the community programs that we were offering are mostly uh, football uh, and small games. So just games just to get them to to break the ice and just to focus on life skills. Sometimes we do give them uh, frisbee, for instance, um, or uh, we also give them uh, touch rugby. And all these small games just to get them to experience different sports, but at the same time to to let them play and teach them the life skills and with the theme of, for instance, education or in terms of uh, gender equality or in terms of inclusion, we translate that into the exercises that we're doing. And then we have always reflection cycles after each practice where we let the kids discuss and, uh, you know, speak their opinion and these are guided by the coach. And this has had a, a tremendous impact on the children on the long run. So for them to learn how to express their opinions and you know, discuss things, respect each other's views, and not just say what's there on their mind and that's it, but rather to, to come out and speak their opinion, not be shy. And, and all of that has really affected the children, not only in the field or in, in the court, but rather also in their day-to-day life in school and within their families and so on. Mm. How do you maintain the engagement with the kids, participants, when you get such severe disruptions like COVID, for instance, or what's been happening recently with the conflict? Yeah. With COVID, we had to adapt our programs to online. Um, So we had online engagement with the kids through our platforms. And then the coach with their, uh, each coach with their teams through, for instance, WhatsApp or uh, Facebook or so on, because these are the platforms that are known here. But we also have communities where there are no IT infrastructure whatsoever. So we had the coach within the camp itself, uh, within the refugee camp itself or within the area itself, who had to, you know, do distance um, sessions with them just to maintain their health and well-being because it was really important. We also had uh, different campaigns in terms of, for instance, my health, my well-being. We had coaches uh, from Palestine and Australia as well, where we had uh, every single day different sessions where anyone could log in and just do the sessions with them. 
um, it was also important to keep the kids engaged and not to think of, of anything else that is going on. And especially now with the recent uh, um, situation that we had in Palestine, everyone just was just thinking about what is going on and how we can support each other. It was just, you know, this connection that we had through through those sports and through those activities with the kids and, and trainers in, in Gaza, for instance, just, you know, to call them up and to check on them. This has meant a lot to, to everyone. Uh, you know, just being there to support each other. This has been uh, a lot. Everyone was in the campaign of uh, Gaza under attack and saved Sheikh And these are things that, you know, bring the people together through sports and also through the situation. It's just to support each other and keeping each other sane in such uh, circumstances. Mm. Here in Australia, when we think of sport, it's a very structured environment with clubs and schools. You know, when you have matches on a weekend, you train during the week at your local club. There's different touch points for sport here. And I'm really interested in what are the models for the kids to do sport? So do they join a local club or is it all basically through the school because they can just start up straight after the final siren goes? We have two different models. Basically, within the school, there is the school system where they join the school team and then they represent uh, the school and uh, the school tournaments that is run by the Ministry of Education in terms of governmental schools or the UNRWA for the UNRWA schools. And uh, from there, they go from, you know, from uh, area to district and then to national team of, of Palestine. But the chances that they got to, to represent Palestine out of Palestine is really restricted to, to either political situation or to the funding situation that they get the chance to go and represent. Even if they are really talented and have worked out years and years to get to that level, and I'm sure many of them would be competing on a really high level, but they just don't have that opportunity or, or chance. Uh, so yes, this this there is this structure, and there are uh, many, for instance, uh, clubs, uh, youth clubs in different areas where, uh, as a child or as a youth, you can go and uh, take part in and join the teams that are available. Uh, there are also academies where one pays a fee and gets enrolled in those academies in different sports, not only football. So there's also boxing, or taekwondo, or athletics, or so. And then if you are seen from a, like from this academy, you would then go over um, into the next level. So this, there is this structure, yes. But at the same time, what we are trying to do is different as Palestine Sports for Life. We do community um, uh, sports. So it is offered for anyone, for any level, and just come and play. And of course, we will build their techniques. We will build up their skill. But this is not our main focus of winning championships or tournaments or so on. Yes, we did have that uh, at some point uh, where um, we had, for instance, a girls football team from Tulkarem uh, taking part in the women's league because we want to encourage girls to, to play and also be part of, uh, of you know, a league, a team and so on um, to, to gain this experience. And of course, you can always see within the teams of Sports for Life the, the engagement with each other and the perseverance and the, the teamwork within them because we have been working on this a lot, not only about the technique. Um, and some of them got selected to represent, for instance, the national team for girls under 16 or so. But again, yes, of course, you have to give the students some kind of action for them to be part of a, of a game. Uh, we do this a lot uh, with other teams within the same district, um, just from time to time. But it is not to get structured or going to the next level, but rather to, to build teams uh, or to build a community and give them this empowerment in different themes, specifically also in education, as I mentioned. Even here in Australia, you know, gender equality is a massive focus and we still don't have that equality at board level or um, amongst different forms of representation in sport just yet. So is it something in Palestine that the societal shifts are happening? You're seeing some good progress? 
Uh, well, of course, not enough. <laughs> not enough for the, what I would like to see. But we are working on it on a grassroots level, basically. So through our programs, we are um, giving voices to, to the younger generation to do something about it. Of course, this is a very long-run uh, effect that we would see the change. Mm. But uh, always, if you start at the base, then you would see the change in the long run. You cannot change uh, older generations because this is something that they have uh, been built up on and used to. And it takes some of them, of course, I'm not going to say all of them, but some, of course, believe in, do in gender equality and are doing something about it. But if we build up the generations in uh, an equal uh, community or an equal society, and with this in, in mind, you would slowly change the, the mindset uh, towards that. So we do this, for instance, in, in football. We had um, in one of our programs and still do uh, in, in football program because it is like really that young girls and young boys interact with each other. If we're talking about 12 or 13 year olds because they go to separate schools anyhow. Mm. Um, and if they are interacting, they're interacting acting with their brothers or uh, and the brothers and sisters interacting with each other, maybe sometimes with cousins. But the, the structure of the communities is that there are minimal chances for young boys and girls to interact with each other if we're talking about conservative and traditional places, which is most of Palestine. Mm. Um, but uh, with this football program that we started, is that within the younger age of 10, 11, 12, we do mix the, the teams. So we offer young girls to come and play. We offer young boys to come and play. At start, they have this, oh my God, I'm not going to play with this uh, with this girl now on my team. And then at the second time, the girl, oh my God, I'm too shy to speak to this. Uh, I never interacted with, with young boys together. So I don't know. And, you know, it's different. But in the long run, and this is, I'm talking about an effect that happened within a year at least, is that uh, the boys saw that the girls can play football. The girls are just the human being, you know? And that at first when they were like, okay, this girl is on your team. And, and you know, you get those faces from those boys. Oh, no, I don't want a girl on my team. That they now asked for the girls to be on their team, asking the coach to let us play mixed. Uh, uh, teams against each other or even girls against boys and uh, and also choosing the female girls over the, the male girls to be on their team. So you see a, a shift and also with, with the young girls and young boys, even the young boys are really shy talking to the girls. So that's the, from those reflection cycles that we have after the, the trainings, that they are, you know, expressing their opinions, respecting each other's views, talking what's on their mind uh, on different issues about the right of play or right of movement or right of education for everyone, basically, but then talking about the gender and what we can do about it. What can you do about it as a, as a youth and what change do you want to see? And they think about this and take it back to their families, to their peers, to their schools, to their communities. So this is the change that we want to see shifting, you know, <laughs> it takes time, but it is a, a change that one can one can do. That must be really encouraging to see that uh, that can happen in such a short space of time. So huge congratulations there. As we look at the future, what are your hopes and visions? Yeah, um, on a political space, a free Palestine, <laughs> a freedom for every single Palestinian. No wars anymore. We want to live in peace. <laughs> this is something that. Uh, any human being, I think, would wish for just living in peace. And, and we are all humans at the end. Uh, and this is a human right just to live in peace. Uh, so this is something that I, of course, wish for and see for and work on for. Um, at the same time, just to give the youth the space, uh, safe spaces to have more safe spaces for kids to play and have this, you know, uh, freedom of movement without, you know, being hustled at any point. Um, and also having this more space for young girls to, to come and play, not just football, but just to come out and play and have that space. And as much as we can, just to empower the youth, because 
in Palestine's case, they represent one third of the Palestinians. So they have a lot coming on their shoulders. We just need to give them the, you know, we need to empower them and give them the space to make choices and to make decisions that would serve the them and the Palestinian community and, and, and the future. And I think one can do this also through sports and also then raise the level of education and giving the space um, for a more interactive project-based learning for the children. I think this is also something that I aim for and work for together with, with the system here. How can the listener support or find Palestine Sports for Life? How can we help in this mission? Yeah, well, uh, you can get in touch with myself um, through my email and through, of course, our page. Uh, we're, uh, we have a website, which is www.ps4l.org. Um, and also then I'm on LinkedIn, my name, and uh, on Facebook, we are there on all social platforms. You can see us, you can reach out to us. We are more than happy to have your support and exchanges of education, any kind of support that you would like to support any program that we are running um, for the kids, for the infrastructure as well in terms of of, uh, Gaza and any places that got demolished to support them through the different channels through us as well. Uh, But also for us as Sports for Life, any support in terms of you know, learning experiences uh, that we can bring back to Palestinians uh, and having those exchanges to build up a system, that would be really great. Tamara, you're a legend. Uh, Just to hear the things that you're doing and the resilience, you know, that you say uh, quality that you've needed to cultivate within yourself. And it's just something I really admire. So uh, all power to you and everyone there. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Abed, for giving me this platform to to speak up. Thank you. And yeah, thank you to the listeners as well. So there we have it. A fantastic conversation with Tamara Awatani. Visit abidimam.com to get the show goodies. Thank you for listening. Sitebeat for their fantastic support and awesome website builder. Until next time, keep smiling, keep scoring.